0: Today on Blue 58, in a lot of ways, the Packers' wide receiver room was the story of the 2022 calendar year. It roughly began with Devontae Adams' departure and ended with Christian Watson's emergence. What do we make of it all? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, Very happy to be with you here for another episode. I think it's fitting that we follow... The discussion about edge rushers with the discussion about wide receivers, because I think there's a lot of similarities here. If you just look at what the Packers had on their roster, overall, it's hard to be too upset with what what the final product was. You had some interesting players. You had a, a veteran guy who gave you about the best that he possibly could. You had some interesting young players emerging. And ultimately, you really could just use a little bit more. And it it isn't so much that any individual player or a group of players really came up short. It's just that there was not enough talent here in the room. So let's dive into the individual receivers on the Packers roster. We set the threshold that guys we talk about in depth at 100 snaps. We have two guys who technically fall under that mark, but you'll see why we're only talking about one of them as sort of a cameo player That's Juwan Winfrey. Just 35 snaps on offense this year, down from 143 last year. I think the era of Juwan Winfrey getting spot snaps in Green Bay is coming to an end, as the Packers did inject quite a bit of talent into their receiver room through the draft this past spring. There just isn't that many opportunities or aren't that many opportunities for Winfrey around in the future. It's hard to see a real path forward for him. The other guy who played fewer than 100 snaps on offense... Is Omari Rodgers. 98 snaps on offense, 86 snaps on special teams, and for all that, 4 catches, 50 yards, 20 punt returns, 139 yards, 6 kick returns, 122 yards, and 5 fumbles. I set my expectations at a moderate level for Rodgers coming into this year. The only threshold I really had for him was look like you belong on offense there was a pretty low bar, pretty for success for Rogers. Looking like you belong on offense, just don't look totally lost out there. I didn't think he was going to get a ton of snaps. I predicted he'd play fewer than 300 on offense. He only ended up with 98, so that ended up being a pretty solid prediction. But in terms of how it all came together, I think you're, pretty, you're getting pretty far up the list of, of disappointing players in Green Bay when you get to Amari Rodgers. There aren't too many people ahead of him as far as the 2022 Packers go. I think we're going to get to one other guy here in a second, but it just couldn't have gone much worse. And we don't need to belabor the point here because this is all stuff, stuff that we covered during the season, but Rodgers never found a role on the offense. He was never a consistent kickoff returner, just not fast enough to get the job done. And To say he was an adventure on every punt return is putting it very, very mildly. The only real question is why was he allowed to be in those positions for so long, and I think the answer is because he was a a third-round pick in his second season with the Packers. That can really be the only explanation. There's no other reason he should have gotten as long of a leash as he did, but he did, and the Packers suffered as a result. They had a guy out there on offense who couldn't do anything. They had a guy out there on as a punt returner who is not really capable of doing some of the basic things you ask of a punt returner, namely catching the football cleanly. And he was just not explosive enough to be an effective kickoff returner. I don't know what else you want. It you can't really say much else about Amari Rodgers other than wondering why he's on the field in the first place, and that is not really his fault. If you put him out there and he messes up, okay. If you do it again and he messes up, well, now we've got a bit of a a trend here. If you put him out there three times and he continues to mess up, that's on you. And you've got five fumbles from Amari Rodgers this year, so we went well past the point at which you should really start making a change. But that is kind of the story of the 2022 Green Bay Packers. Moving up the list, Samori Touré, 112 snaps on offense, two on special teams, ended his rookie season with five catches for 82 yards and a touchdown. I pegged his expectations at moderate this year, wanted him to fill his role on special teams and not look out of place on offense. I also predicted he'd lead the Packers wide receivers in special team snaps. A lot of people believe that he would be one of the the Packers gunners or flyers, as we now say, I guess, in Green Bay. Overall, other than the special team stuff, I think he basically met my expectations. When he was on the field for the Packers on offense, it never looked like the game was too big for him. He looks like he processes the game really well and I think that's where you're going to look for growth for him next year. As you look to 2023 for Samori Touré, it's going to depend a lot on what the Packers on what the Packers do at wide receiver this offseason. Alan Lazard looks like he's out the door, so they're going to need talent there. Are they going to count on guys developing from within or are they going to try to add more players through the draft or maybe free agency? I'm I'm really hoping that they add some more players. Not because I don't believe in the guys that they have, but they just they need a lot of help at receiver. They need at least one more guy, and we'll talk about it the further down the list we get here, along I think with Christian Watson, who you can count on to get open on a play-in-play play out basis, because right now I don't think they have that guy. Tore seems like a nice complimentary piece. There are some pros and cons looking at him heading into next year. On the negative side, he's not overly big. Just 190 pounds at 6 foot 3. The weight I think is the problem because I think he's not quite fast enough to be so willowy. I wish he was quicker or I wish that he just had truly mind-bending speed at 190 pounds because that would make him a lot more dangerous. Instead, I think you can you can do a lot as far as redirecting him at that size and I think we saw Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson struggle with things related to that too. I also wonder if his skill set is essentially pretty replaceable. Yes, he does some nice things as far as just understanding where he needs to be on the field. His touchdown uh, against the Bills was a great example of that. He just really figured out where he needed to be at that particular time, and he was there, and it was great to see. But I wonder if stuff like that is as valuable as a guy who could just run a 4-3 or a 4-4. You're gonna really blow past defenders. What is more consistently valuable? I tend to think it's, it is more just the physical gifts, because I feel like you could teach him, teach someone to be like, to be someone who understands defenses, uh, with experience, he should become someone. This hypothetical receiver we're talking about should be some become someone who can read defenses and and find the soft spots and stuff like that. That innate understanding does matter, but. I just wonder if it's something that's going to set him apart from a generic super-duper athlete. There are some pros, though, to keeping Toure around, to looking ahead to his role in 2023, because I don't think the Packers are going to be like actively looking to replace him. I just wonder how big his role can be. He does have a year in the system, and I think you did see him improve as the season went on. That sort of middle portion of the season where Romeo Dobbs was kind of fading a little bit and Christian Watson hadn't come on quite yet, There were some good games. I think for Teray, he does have some nice physical tools. Six foot three is is nothing to sneeze at, and if he adds a little bit of weight, that helps with some of those other issues. And again, he does seem to really understand the game and and his role within it. You do have questions about that, about whether or not that can be a primary skill set as a receiver, but or you know, kind of a primary selling point as a receiver. But it's certainly not a bad thing to have. It's just if that's all he's offering, you may want to go in a different direction longer term. Still. I think, pretty good rookie year for a seventh-round pick. The same cannot be said for Sammy Watkins, whom the Packers invested quite a bit more in than just a seventh-round pick, though his contract wasn't huge. He did only end up playing 279 snaps on offense. For the season, 13 catches for 206 yards. Not good. It started out pretty strong. Weeks one and two, six catches, 111 yards. Weeks three through 11, though, seven catches, 95 yards. Not so good. He was injured for weeks three through six, and he was shown the door after week 11, as the Packers wanted to get their young guys more reps. I had pretty high expectations for Watkins coming into 2022. I thought he should and probably could have functioned as a number two receiver. For some of this, I have to blame, and I've got to say blame in air quotes, uh, a very persuasive article by Rich Madrid of AcmePackingCompany.com. He he was pretty high on Watkins, and I was buying what he was selling. I thought that his skill set really aligned with some of the things that uh, Matt LaFleur likes to do in their offense. He still seemed to have some of the deep speed uh, of his earlier career, flashing last year, and Rich made a pretty persuasive case about how he could use that to contribute in, in 2022. And I accordingly, I thought he would get opportunities as the Packers' young receivers came along. I, in fact, I predicted he'd have, he'd have 40 or more catches. None of that really came to pass. His speed, while good at times, never returned after his hamstring injury in Week 2. And I don't think he was ever close to 100% after that, even after the Packers put him back out on the field. It seemed pretty clear that he was not all the way back. His ability to contribute in Lafleur's offense was minimal. And Watkins was one of the people who talked about the Matt Lafleur offense and the Aaron Rodgers offense. Based on the breakdowns that um, Dusty Evely and a few other people have posted analyzing some of the things Watkins did and did not do on the field, I think it's fairly safe to say that Watkins didn't pick up much of either one of those offenses. To the extent that there are two in Green Bay. It just was a bad signing. And looking back to last spring and the Packers' free agency decisions at receiver, there really weren't a whole lot of other options as far as where they could go. It basically boils down to would you have preferred the Packers sign Watkins or Julio Jones, who didn't have a tremendous year in Tampa, or shell out relatively big money for Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Now, given those three, I'm probably bringing back MVS. I'm not sure that's a great value for the money either. I think if you really held my feet to the fire and told me how the Packers receiver room was going to shake out in 2022, I probably would do it. In hindsight, given the the actual like numbers of where his contract and cash flow and cap space and guaranteed money all go, I think I'd probably do that deal. Because a lot of the, the cap stuff for his his contract. is pretty fake. You can get out of it whenever you're sick of having MVS around for relatively low cost. I think the Packers should probably have just done the same sort of deal and at least have a guy who, well, who is more of a known commodity. Certainly, MVS was better than Sammy Watkins in 2022. And if that's the ultimate decision, well, the Packers missed and the guy that they missed on is going to the Super Bowl. Randall Cobb also here in 2022. 371 snaps on offense, 7 on special teams. He appeared in 13 games, grading on the Randall Cobb curve a little bit. 13 games is pretty good, I suppose. 34 catches for Cobb, 417 yards, 1 touchdown, 4 punt returns, for 37 yards, performing some spot duty there, kind of ending his career in Green Bay, basically where it may have started. Yeah, kind of spoiling it, what's coming next year for Cobb. I think it's probably not going to be in Green Bay. Anyway, I think the uh, the expectations I had for Cobb in 2022 were fairly high. I wanted him to try to match his production basically pre-injury from 2021. I don't know if he quite got there. I did predict he'd finish the season top five in targets. He got to sixth, which given how things shook out with the Packers rookies and how Robert Tunyon, I think, was higher than anybody expected in, in terms of or or further along in his recovery than I think we expected. And was a lot more involved in the Packers' offense than I I think we expected, although the overall production was, well, left some things to be desired, I think. Sixth is not too bad for Cobb, I don't think. A pretty good year. Ultimately, I don't know where I come down on whether or not he met expectations. It, it depends whether you think high expectations for Randall Cobb are the same for as somebody, somebody else who you may have high, had high expectations for. On the one hand, it did look like he was still pretty useful. Eight or more yards per target is not bad. 19 of his 34 catches went for a first down or touchdown. That's a pretty good stat line. On the other hand, he's still pretty old and he was mostly just a first or second down player. When the Packers needed a conversion on third down, they didn't have Randall Cobb on the field a lot of the time. And he is not particularly explosive anymore. That was never really his game, blazing speed or things like that. But it certainly wasn't in 2022. So as far as next year, I would lean toward him not being in Green Bay. Brian Gutekunst, as much as admitted two years ago, that had it not been for Aaron Rodgers, Cobb wouldn't have been in Green Bay at all. So I I don't think that as they're trying to decide what they want to do with Aaron Rodgers, they're really jonesing to bring back Randall Cobb. For that matter, does Randall Cobb even want to play in 2023? I think that's a fairly open question at this point. I think personally, if I was him, I'd probably good for now. Although if somebody offered me another couple million dollars, maybe that that changes a little bit. But I don't think that Randall Cobb's football home in 2023 needs to be in Green Bay. Just it's It's time to move on. If you're talking about moving on from the past, how about building your team around guys who are going to be here in 2024 and 2025 rather than just trying to hang on to one more season from for 2023. The Packers could take that approach at a couple of different positions, you think. Christian Watson, next up. Big jump in snaps. Uh, snaps played from Cobb to Watson. But this is basically how it's going to be for the top three guys in terms of playing time at receiver. Watson, 507 snaps on offense, 14 on special teams. Ends of the season, 41 catches, 611 yards, and 7 touchdowns. A couple rushing touchdowns in there as well. Proved he was dangerous on the end rounds. Reverse type stuff too. Jet sweeps. Whatever you need him to do that involves running fast, Christian Watson can do it. The expectations were high for Christian Watson because the Packers essentially spent two, well, they not even so much essentially, they did really spend two second-round picks on him and were counting on him to be a pretty solid replacement, at least partially, for Devontae Adams. It didn't really work out that way, at least not early. And that was a big part of, I think, if there is any disappointment in – In Watson for 2022, just the slow start was a problem. Relevant predictions for Watson in terms of what we talked about at the start of the season. I said 40 catches, 600 yards seemed like a pretty good ballpark. Ended with 41 for 611. Not too shabby. Got a little bit lucky on that one. Overall, though, looking at the entirety of his 2022 season, I'd have to bill myself as pretty satisfied with Watson. Whatever skepticism there was for him as a prospect, you know. Is he just an athlete? Does he play at a, did he just beat up on, you know, small school competition? Is he going to have trouble with drops like he did at times in college? Kind of seems to have been borne out early. He did seem to be just an athlete for most of the first half of the season when he was on the field. He did struggle with drops, and it did look like he took a little time to adjust to the, the competition level. However, he also seemed to basically overcome all of those potential problems or or concerns that people had about him basically on schedule the thinking was it would take some time for him to to figure out how to play at the NFL level it did but then once he once he took off it was like what well, were we so worried about he erased any doubt you may have had but it there it was a growing process which was basically exactly what we expected And looking back, it's hard not to wonder how things may have gone for him and for the Packers had he gotten some time in training camp. Because remember back, he'd spent basically all of training camp on the sideline, didn't have a really a a meaningful rep at all during the training camp portion of the year. He pretty much didn't see the field at all. Well, he really didn't see the field at all. He didn't play in any of the preseason games. Didn't do much in terms of training camp until he was on the field for the first snap in week one. And we all know how that went. So what comes next for Christian Watson? I think expectations really can't be high enough. There's no, no ceiling for him right now. When you have that kind of athletic gifts, I think that's fair. It seems like there's no end to what he can accomplish. It all kind of comes down to what he can add to his game. Michael Jordan used to talk about trying to add one thing to his game every offseason. It was mid range shooting, three point shooting, a post game, trying to get physically stronger. He tried to shore up one weak spot in his game every offseason, in addition to his overall, you know, very intense training schedule and things like that. If you had to pick something like that for Christian Watson, what would you want him to add to his game? Well, I have a list of a few things. First, I think you'd want him to add a little bit more nuance to his routes. That's something that all young receivers take some time to learn in the NFL and something I think we did see signs of as his season kind of wore on. He did progress in how he was running his routes and and sort of handling some of the precision, you know, uh, within the the overall scheme uh, relative to other routes. I think we want to see him maybe harness his speed a little bit more. Don't just be a fast guy. Be a fast guy who can, you know, gear up and gear down. And I think we saw this, so this isn't something you really need to work on a whole ton for 2023. I'd like to see him, you know, add a little bit more contested catchability to his game. Uh, We did see some of that down the stretch, too. You'd like to see that level up a little bit. And I guess at a, a base level, I would like to see him add a little bit of weight. Maybe not so much weight, I guess, as play strength, but that too is something that rookie receivers tend to struggle with. You come in a little bit light because you can play lighter in college. The guys aren't as big, but in the NFL, even corners are pretty stout. Uh, Jair Alexander, you know, 195 pounds. It's only 10 pounds lighter than um, Christian Watson, and that's not a pretty. That's not a terribly unusual build for a cornerback. For a guy who's seven inches shorter than Watson, that's a lot of muscle in a short, stout kind of guy. And those are difficult players to deal with for guys who are as long as Watson is. So maybe a little bit more weight or or play strength to avoid getting knocked off routes um, as is common for younger receivers. Still, overall, hard to be too disappointed with Watson. I think he gave you about everything you could have asked for from his rookie year. Romeo Dobbs, maybe not so much, though. 529 snaps on offense, three on special teams, and the ends the season with 42 catches for 425 yards and three touchdowns. Expectations, I had him at a moderate level coming into the year. I wanted him to look like a plus version of Samori Touré. Predicted that he'd have 20 or more catches this year. The bar's pretty low. He did some nice things, but overall, I don't think it was a good year for Romeo Dobbs. He had some good moments but I don't think he had a very good year. Nate is 538, I don't know what you call that anymore, it's the website, 538, uh, put together something they're calling wide receiver score for this year. Using analytics and tracking data, it scores receivers in three areas. How often they get open, the extent to which they get open, uh, their ability to catch the ball, how often they're catching it given where they're catching the ball, and yards after catch. Get open, catch the ball, and run with it once you've caught it. Three pretty b- basic things for a wide receiver. How well do you do those things? Dobbs was pretty terrible in this metric. He did not stack up well compared to other NFL wide receivers. He ranked 104 out of 111 qualifying wide receivers in this metric. He was 109th out of 111 in catch score. He was 55, 55th, excuse me on his open score, especially bad against man coverage, and he was 74th in yards after the catch. Basically, he wasn't catching the ball when he did get open, which didn't happen all that often, and then when he did catch the ball, he wasn't doing much after the catch. That's not great across the board. Now, to be fair to Dobbs, I think there was a lot of the early portion of the season where he was getting a lot of undue attention. Christian Watson was coming along slowly. He had some injury issues the first few weeks of the season. Sammy Watkins also, being out of the lineup, put Dobbs in a situation where he was getting attention as a second or third wide receiver rather than as a third or fourth wide receiver, which I think is a significant difference. And I think Alan Lazard, being the guy he was opposite most of the year, didn't do him really any favors. I think he needs more work than both Ture and Watson heading into year two. Watson has insane physical tools. That gives him a lot more leeway with what he's going to accomplish in, in 2023. That gives him a lot more margin to work with than Dobbs has. Ture looks more refined. He knows who he is as a player, and I don't think Dobbs is quite there yet. And I think Ture plays a little bit stronger, too. Dobbs still seems to be figuring things out on the field, and I think it's going to take him a little bit of of time to get there. I still, I think there's no reason not to be optimistic about him. He seems like a guy who can really grow into a role where he is a sidekick instead of having to be a main target fairly early on. If he can really feast on second and third corners, which I think he is going to get the opportunity to do, he can have a very productive NFL career. Not everybody's got to be Batman. Sometimes you got to be Robin and building your receiver room with a guy who can be really successful in that Robin type role is not a bad sort of thing to do. Finally, Alan Lazard. He leads Packers wide receivers in snaps. He led them in pretty much everything else too. 863 snaps on offense, three on special teams, 60 catches, 788 yards and six touchdowns. He leads the Packers in catches and yards, second in touchdowns. He had also two carries, for zero yards and a long of one. We know why he had only zero yards and also ran for one, is because of that play in fourth down or on fourth down in Packers territory against the Lions. We don't have to go back and revisit that. Anyway, high expectations for Alan Lazard coming into 2023, 2022, Excuse me. Wanted him to produce like a number one wide receiver because that is what he was going to be. Start to finish for the Packers. It wasn't going to be Sammy Watkins. It wasn't going to be Christian Watson. It wasn't going to be Romeo Dobbs. It wasn't going to be Randall Cobb. It had to be Alan Lazard. And I predicted he would, as a result, lead the Packers in catches yards and touchdowns. He did get two of those three. So on the one hand, I don't know how disappointed we can really be with Lazard. The problem is I think sixty catches, seven hundred and eighty-eight yards, and six touchdowns. Touchdowns are nice, I guess, but I think this was about peak Lazard. And it wasn't enough. And I think that's why you see the Packers apparently not all that interested in re signing him. This feels like about as it's ever about as good as it's ever going to be for Lazard on a season long basis. His twenty twenty two or twenty twenty efficiency numbers were better. I think his twenty one efficiency numbers were better. But even if he was more efficient, I just don't think there's enough there. We referenced Dusty Evely once already. He had a great term for wide receivers, kind of relating it to basketball. Um, So we'll reference him again here. He says, you just need a bucket getter in your receiving core. A guy who can go out and get you a catch when you need a catch. And I don't think Lazard is that guy. He is another sidekick. If you want to stick with basketball terms, he's your corner three guy. The guy who catches the ball on the kickout and knocks down a three-pointer as whoever it is drives to the hoop. Pick whatever superstar basketball player you want. He's the guy that gets the ball when somebody else has attention. He does have some good efficiency numbers. He was reliable on third down, but it was often or almost always within the scheme of the offense. Lazard is doing Very little to win one-on-one matchups on a down-in, down-out basis. He can. It's just not something that he is going to do regularly enough to be your lead guy. He's a good sidekick, but I think a sidekick is what he's going to be. Next year, Alan Lazard, I think, is going to be somewhere else. Things have apparently soured, I would say, between him and the Packers. I think it's understandable from his perspective you have to play, as an undrafted free agent, you have to play a long time before you can do anything resembling controlling your own destiny. And you're getting pretty miserable paychecks relative to some other guys while you're doing that. And Lazard, as the all-time leading receiver at Iowa State, was not exactly a slouch coming out of college. He was kind of a guy without a position. People had talked about playing him at tight end or receiver. It wasn't really clear what he was going to be. He ends up at receiver, and he's done nothing but get steadily better over the course of his career, and it's probably cost him a couple of million dollars just not getting drafted. If he's a day two pick, say a late third rounder, he'd have been doing a lot better for himself to this point. Instead, he's got to sign a series of tenders, and he's just got to sit there and take it whatever the team wants to do with him. Despite technically being a free agent for the last couple of off seasons, these are a uh, Restricted free agent or an exclusive rights free agent. And, you know, we never really got the full explanation on it last offseason, but it it looked like a mini holdout from him not showing up for organized and then organized team activities and then minicamp until he absolutely had to be there. You can see why. He wanted a little bit of an assurance, maybe not even a little bit, maybe more than a little bit of an assurance that I'm a part of your plans, or at least I'm going to get paid for what I've done so far. Packers didn't seem interested in that. So Alan Lazard wants to move on. And again, I can't really blame him for it. Who knows how much he ends up getting on the open market. Maybe it's a situation where the grass really isn't that much greener on the other side, but even if he gets like 10 to $15 million guaranteed, you are... I would think set for life unless you are an extravagant spender and you're probably going to be able to pass on quite a bit to your kids too. I would be frustrated if I had the opportunity or saw other people having the opportunity to get to that kind of money first. And the team that, you know, has controlled my life for the past two or three years didn't really seem interested at all in trying to get me to that sooner. I can also understand it from the Packers perspective and even wrote about this for thepowersweep.com, Lazard has kind of peaked a little bit, not even a little bit. This, I think, is the, the full Lazard experience. This is who he is as a player, and he's not a guy who's going to carry your receiving room. And I think as a result, the Packers want to, if not move on, we're not act, going out of their way to prioritize re-signing Alan Lazard. And that's got to sting a little bit too. But that, I guess, is kind of the story on the Packers receiver room. You've got a a veteran guy who peaks at being like the second best at his position. You've got some promising youngsters who didn't quite give you enough. And overall, it's a a position group where you just, looking back at the season, they really could have used just a little bit more. They weren't quite there. Maybe in 2023 they will be. In any case, they're probably not going to have to rely on three rookies being good to really have something in this room. And that, I think, if nothing else, is some reason for optimism heading into next year. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think is going to enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.